Thank you for tuning in to The Automator Show, Episode 2. We have a great interview today, uh, our first interview actually, with Carl Rochelle, the CEO and founder of System76. If you don't know them, uh, System76 is a Denver-based manufacturer of Linux laptops, desktops, servers, and also the Pop! OS operating system. Pop! OS is an Ubuntu-based operating system that they use on their computers. So, a little bit of housekeeping. First off, I wanted to thank you guys on Twitter. Uh, super flattered. Uh, we had an issue where our editor, unfortunately, was a freelancer and got a full-time job, and I thought we were going to have to delay the next episode of the show a few months. Within, and this is not an exaggeration at all, within 24 hours, you guys reached out, hooked me up with an editor, and we are literally on schedule for the plan. So this is, I'm completely touched. This is great. Um, I appreciate it a lot. Going forward, we are going to stick to the every other week format. And about half of the episodes are going to be like this interview shows. I can't promise that we'll alternate between straight shows and interview shows, um, just because obviously people have scheduling conflicts and things like that. But I'm going to try to keep it to a to a 50-50 kind of break up there. If you are doing something cool in the automation space and would like to be a guest on the show, reach out to Automator Show on Twitter. Uh, also, a little more housekeeping. Sorry for all this, but just responding to a few uh, messages you've all sent. We are now on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Um, also, if you could please rate and review us there, that would be awesome. Amazingly enough, iTunes is still the primary driver of podcast downloads. We're also in Overcast, Pocketcast, Google Play, and a bunch of other places that somehow picked up the feed that I don't, I've never heard of, but people reached out and said we're there. So that's great. If you would like to give any feedback, again, Automator Show on Twitter. As always, this is brought to you by the Madbotter and Madbotter's Rabot automation software. I won't stall anymore. I know you guys don't want to hear from me today. You want to hear from Carl. So without further ado, here's my interview with Carl Rochelle. Thank you very much. Hello, Carl. How are you today? How's sunny Denver? Well, it's sunny and snowy, so it's a, it's a beautiful day outside. Ah, it's a lot colder than Florida then. All right. So tell us a little bit about yourself and System76. I'm Carl Rochelle. I'm the CEO and founder of System76. We're a computer manufacturer in Denver, Colorado, and we specialize in Linux computers. We ship um, laptops, desktops, and servers. Our laptops and desktops ship with our own distribution, Pop! OS, as well as Ubuntu. Yep, you know, Carl, this show is actually being made on the Thaleo running Pop 1910. That's fantastic. It's, it's a product we're, we're extremely proud of. Uh, it was a, a major milestone in our company's history because we moved both the design and manufacturing in-house. So in the last year, we built a factory in Denver that's produced in Thaleo, and um, all the design was done um, on a, a close-knit team here in Colorado as well. That's fantastic. Now, you know, I've seen some pretty cool videos of your factory and some of the machinery and because originally you didn't manufacture your own hardware. Is that correct? Right. Um, in fact, we would what we would do is buy pre-designed systems from companies. Um, mostly the companies were in Taiwan, um, but the manufacturing was in China. And so the company in Taiwan would handle the design as well as quality assurance. And the factory would be in China where the product was manufactured and and shipped to us in the United States. But a couple of years ago, we decided that we weren't able to provide the same quality or the same level of responsiveness to our customers of not having control over that process. And that's um, one of the, the main reasons we decided to take in both the design and the manufacturing. 
Very cool. Now, what has that transition been like for you? I imagine it was a, a, just, a, just a hell of a process. Well, you know, it started with just uh, you know, theories and, and ideas and prototypes. So, uh, so we already had some ideas. We have a lot of data. A company that supplies computers, we, we know things like what processors uh, people tend to choose, what, how much storage they tend to choose, um, uh, those type of things. And one of the things about, about buying pre-designed systems is that, is that they generally are designed to fit a very broad base of potential customers. We have a more succinct group of customers uh, that we understand better, and so we can better design the product for them. So yeah, started with R&D, and actually our early prototypes were were made out of acrylic. It's a it's like an easy material to laser cut, to design around, put something together, get a feel for it, and see see how how you like to feel, how things fit, and you can do that very rapidly. And so we we worked on that for over a year, and then the design was kind of at the point where we were ready to start working with metal, and uh, and at the point where we were ready to to move forward with uh, investing in a factory. So from there, there we started looking for space to manufacture in, which was the one surprising hang up was that it took us over a year to find space to manufacture in. Uh, really? Space. Yeah, I don't know if it's. It's Colorado specific, um, or if manufacturing and distribution are the same types of buildings, and distribution thanks to online commerce is is growing. There's lots of warehouses with just boxes that are moving things around. A lot of distributors want to be closer to customers to get things to them faster. So there's that that kind of sucks up some of the warehouse and industrial space supply. And then here in Colorado, pot was legalized as well. So with that legalization, the same type of space we use is the same type of space that marijuana users producers use. So that's that took more space off, off of the market. Got it. I so, take it that's a boom so, sector right now. It, it certainly is. So that was a struggle. Eventually, we found a space we were really happy with. You know, everything fit the size, the the price, and. And then we moved in in March of March of last year. And, wow, that's uh, impressive. We started with metal uh, metal prototypes, and um, and this was the process of cutting, bending, painting, uh, making sure we could do all those things well, and and practicing that art until it was perfected. And about nine months later, we were shipping the first Thaleo desktops. Wow. Now it sounds like you have just a ton going on. So is there any kind of process or even physical automation that you guys are using in this factory or in the business in general? Our automation story starts early on in the company. It actually started with imaging systems. So, uh, I mean, I started the company in my basement in the 14 some years ago. Nice. And so the, you know, the computers would come into my, I had a, a little side door to my basement. So the DHL guy or the UPS guy would come by and knock on my side door and, and I'd take in these computers and then I'd get them all ready to ship out. And the process uh, took a long time per computer. And then we received an order for, for 60 laptops at a school in Oregon. And, uh, and I remember the, the thinking, I don't know how I'm going to supply 60 laptops. It's going to take me forever to, to just get the operating system on all of those. Right, because you're imaging and, them uh, individually at this point, right? Right. So okay. Taking a USB drive. At that time, it was CDs, actually. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we're taking CDs, loading the operating system, and then doing some engineering on the system to, to ensure all the functionality worked correctly, and then creating a backup disk because we needed our customers to be able to easily restore to the position they were to start with. So all of that took a lot of time. So we started investing in uh, an imaging system where we could build a, what we would call a golden image. And, and from that image on a server, we would pixie boot a laptop, load the image over ethernet and install it on the, on the computer. So that alleviated huge amounts of human time, just wasn't being well used and moved it to um, a software system. That automation continued into our information processes. So at first, we're just an e-commerce site, and, you know, it's right. in, in essence, where uh, you know, we have uh, products that are on a site and customers are 
placing orders with us. But, uh, and now we can at least image those in a, rapidly. But we were using Newcash as our accounting platform. Newcash is it's, you know, great when you're, when you're small, but there are, there are challenges with it. Even if you're small, when you have an e-commerce site, you're, you're taking orders and those orders don't go in automatically into the accounting software. And mm-hmm. so basically what happens is you have this e-commerce site that's running and it's collecting information about your sales and shipping and, and things you need to do. And then there's this out-of-band accounting platform that is basically downloading bank statements and reconciling those, but there's no connection between the two. So it becomes very challenging to know at any one point how well you're doing, how much cash you have, the cash flow, without just right. constantly staying on top of it. So that's when we built Beansbooks. And Beansbooks was a accounting platform that enabled us to, well, the nice thing about it is it has this really broad API surface that enables us to just shoot data into it and provide IRS compliant reports and data reporting for management to understand what the company is doing um, in real time. Wow, that's so very cool. We went, yeah, we, we went from knowing we weren't dying to knowing we were doing pretty well. <laughs> quite a bit, you know, it's quite a bit different. Just uh, overnight, it changed my life as a decision maker because I would know how, you know, how much money the company had at any one time, where our sales were, where our shipments were, everything just, and, uh, you know, very rapidly. And best of all, without any data entry, because an order would come into the e-commerce system. It would be automatically populated with purchase orders and sales orders in the accounting platform. And once the product shipped, those sales orders and and purchase orders were converted into invoices, thus completing you know the transaction. Very cool. So let me make make sure I understand. So you, so it's called Beans Books, and it's automatically pulling in the data from your e-commerce system into your accounting system and giving you you said IRS compliant reports and kind of a high level overview of the current status. Now is that I have to ask because I know you're huge on open source. Is that an open source project or is that internal to uh, to System seventy six? Uh, it is open source. At first, we actually offered it as a service as well, but. Our, our business isn't really accounting. It, right. This was this was a time when there were near, I mean, no accounting platforms really online, and so and so we built it not because we wanted to, you know, build an accounting platform. We built it because there were no options that enabled us to automate this process. And when there aren't options and it's costly, then a lot of times it's it's a worthy investment to take on. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is open source, and I really felt like we were onto something, right? Because uh, right. I saw the change right. in my life, and I, I thought that maybe this would start well with a tech crowd because you know we tend to like to automate things. I mean, we like to automate our workflow and our tool chains and our and our processes so that we spend time on you know harder things and, and the real gem of Beans Books is its API and being able to just create these things um, automatically. But alas, uh, it's, uh, you know, it didn't really take off. It was just a valuable project for us internally. And it's also available for anyone that, that's interested in looking at it and using it. Very cool. So let's let's jump a little bit to the factory then. I can't imagine you're not taking the same philosophy of, you know, focusing on the higher value stuff via automating I mean, I don't even know what it would take to run a factory, Carl. So you'll have to educate me some. Right. Well, uh, the first challenge with the factory is that now all of a sudden we have lots and lots of inventory to manage. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, you know, once again, this time is a little different because there are lots of inventory online, inventory systems with, you know, they have APIs as well. Uh, that's just a necessary part of inventory. But, uh, and of course, we didn't like any of them. <laughs> they were too complex, trying to do too many things when we need, we have a simple process that's kind of specialized because of custom built with 
components all coming together per order. It's not like we're just we're just sitting a bunch of Thaleo on a shelf that all have the same configuration or four right. different configurations shipping them. Every single one is built to order, and so we needed something for that pro- type of process. You're still shipping yeah, the uh, the other machines too, right? The ones from Taiwan as well. Right for laptops. Right for laptops. So you have to manage both of those processes as well. So um, and this is more still on the information side of, of things, and happy to get to the physical automation processes that we've started to implement. But but for inventory, we we designed and and implemented an inventory system that now takes that that order and creates what we call a build. And so an order might have three or four computers on it with three or four different configurations. And so it creates three or four builds that go into the system. And then Picker takes a, takes a scanner and a laptop and a cart and rolls through an aisle. And the cart on the computer, it says, you're picking up this part and it's at position 1CD1 or something like that. So it's, or it's C1 is container one, and then it's rack A position two, for instance. And so you can just look at the, the location is on the screen, go to that location, scan the part, and it, the system will know whether that's the correct part or not based on the QR code that's on the, on the component. So you can just quickly go along, go to each location, scan each component until you have everything in the build list, and then go drop it at an assembly station, scan the assembly station, which then on the assembly station screen, all of the components and the order and details appear on the station once you've placed the order there. That tells the assembler what or what components they have, how they need to go the, together. There's there's instructions on the assembly process for, for each computer there, and then once they're ready to image it, they can plug it into the to uh, an Ethernet cable that's connected to a, a small machine there, a Meerkat actually, uh, which then images images the system, and then there's a, a UPS printing machine there. We call them zebra printers. Yep. Once they click the next button, the shipping label scans out. They box up the machine, put the label on, put it by the dock. And it's good to go. Now, can I assume that when when the picker scans a component, I mean, I'm just going to use my own, uh, you know, one of the AMD Ryzen processors, right? I'm sure you have a shelf of them. Is there some sort of software running that decrements your inventory? Right. That's exactly what's happening. So the inventory system has a list, uh, knows all of the SKUs that we use, as well as the uh, number of SKUs that we have and the value that we ordered them at each time. Because values change over time, right? Sure. So you can only correctly apply the cost for a specific order by knowing the price that you paid at the time that you purchased the, the inventory, not the price that it is necessarily today. Oh, so interesting. The all, yeah, the system's tracking all of those prices. And when you scan a part, it's applying not necessarily the price of that part, because we want to do first in, first out. So it is scanning the, allocating the part and the cost of the earliest part to that order. So you're depleting the older inventory first. The older stock first, which presumably would be more expensive. Or or less. Or less. <laughs> so it can fluctuate. Yeah, it, in technology it goes, some technology components are actually traded like commodities, like corn okay. and, and, and really? grain. Uh, right, so there's basically a commodity market for memory. Oh my God. And so memory prices fluctuate based on that market. See, now next time people order a machine from you, they're going to have to watch the uh, stock ticker for RAM. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what companies like us do is we have to even out that, sure. that stock ticker. Sure, RAM. balance it out to the average. So let's get into the physical automation, because I'm sure we're going to get a lot of Twitter action and comments saying, where's the robots? Where's the assembly? Right. Well, so we're, we're year in, and 
today we're still largely doing a lot of a lot of the, the manufacturing by hand. Okay. We have begun investing in, in machinery to automate processes. The first thing that we started with was was buying a laser cutter and we bought a laser generator and a CNC table um, that were to be integrated. And the company that we bought it for, we were, you know, of course, we we're a small company. We were trying to do things as economical as possible. And oh, sometimes yeah. economical turns out being much more expensive. I know so that very that lays, well. <laughs> yeah. So if uh, a tip to anyone out there that if you are uh, opening a factory and you're going to be cutting metal, don't go cheap on your metal cutting laser. Uh, it will cost you in the end. So these guys come out to integrate the laser system, and after two weeks, they don't finish it. They come back a month later and still don't finish it, and it starts becoming clearer and clearer that this thing might not ever work. So oh. that was the first part of our automation. So that, that put us behind substantially. And, you know, it's hard to give up an investment. That's like a $200,000 investment. So it's a little hard to just say, uh, you know, right. I have to scrap this and move on. That's, that's tough. But eventually it became clear that that's the only right decision to make. So we ended up scrapping it and buying a, a large punch and laser system, uh, which is a much, much more advanced and just, uh, much more capable machine than what we were intending to start with in the first place. So we bought something. Uh, it's called a Trump Trumatic. And this machine, it's called a sheet dragger, which is, I think, a fun name. You put a sheet of aluminum on it, and it clamps onto the sheet, sheet of aluminum. You program the system with your uh, your designs, which are basically what you're cutting out and punching. And so uh, it'll drag the sheet underneath the laser head. And for laser operations, these walls come up, and another wall comes down and starts cutting out all, or doing all the laser cutouts. But the interesting thing about the machine is that it's also a punch combination machine. So punching means it goes around and grabs a tool head, uh, will come out to the aluminum and then punch through that aluminum in a specific shape or in a specific way. Uh, it can also come out and it can just make a bead along the aluminum to strengthen the add rigidity to a flat piece of aluminum or sheet metal or whatever metal material you're using. So in essence, what we can now do with this machine is for a number of parts, we can completely automate their cuts and bend and shoot out a finished part that's ready to go to paint. It's uh, not a capability that uh, we intended to have, but it, it, added, it reduces a lot of time in normal labor because instead of cutting that part, moving it to a brake press, and then bending it, now the machine can do that bend for you and the part's ready right. just out of, out of the box. How much time would you say that saves you from a traditional laser cutter? We're still optimizing the, the system, and it's such a massive machine that we're also still learning it. But mm. um, I would say we've probably cut off 20 to 30 minutes per system, thanks to, thanks that, to what this system can do. That's significant. Um, the other, yeah, it's, it's quite substantial. And the, the other thing that it does is substantially reduce our costs. Because we were having so many problems with the, the original laser system, we had to order cut metal for, for a number of months. And that's exceptionally expensive. It's also sure. expensive just to move parts around. Right? So now, uh, now we have four bay sheets of aluminum you know, stacked up in the factory. And the cost to produce a Thaleo external, which was once almost $200, uh, now costs about 80 to 100 That must have made so your accounting software happy. Right, right. Well, and you might have noticed, too, um, we've been able to pass that along to our customers. Right. So when right. we started out shipping, and I think there's a there's a massive curve at the beginning of a factory, you know, new factory process or a new product process, where it costs a lot more to produce it in the beginning, 
And then as you become better at it and you grow uh, your capabilities, that cost reduces substantially. And for us, we were able to pass it on to our customers. So the starting price went from $1,099 to $899 in a course of 14 or 15 months. That's huge. And I'm sure that allowed you to pick up customers you might not have gotten or indeed for them to get upgrades that maybe they couldn't have afforded before, right? Right. So I have to be honest, Carl, I have opened up my Thaleo more than once. Yeah. And I've noticed a couple 3D printed components. And first of all, am I right that they're 3D printed? Yes. I have to know. So why 3D printed? Okay. Well, 3D printing does uh, enables you to very rapidly prototype and, and pretty rapidly produce components. So inside of Thaleo, there are three parts that are 3D printed. Actually, two of those parts are no longer 3D printed. We now have them plastic mold injected. Okay. So full disclosure, so, I have one of the first run, like first month right. Thaleos. So, yeah. Right. So, uh, so there's one, there's a brace in the back behind the GPU, which is 3D printed. That's still 3D printed today. And a lot of our GPU braces still are 3D printed. The most challenging thing about producing and shipping desktop computers is them breaking in transit. Mm, sure. That's a severe, severe problem. And most of that has to do with the PCI slots not having, uh, you know, the technology moves forward with PCI, you know, three to four to, uh, you know, five, but the slot has never changed, really. Right. And so we put these massive GPUs into this slot that is not designed to, to hold, to hold it, a yeah. GPU. It can't hold that weight. It certainly can't handle, you know, the trials and tribulations of shipping through a UPS system. So we 3D print braces because GPUs change often and, um, and their shapes are all different. So inside of the systems, we brace the GPUs with, with 3D printed parts. The other part in your Thaleo that's 3D printed is the power button connector. Yep. Because the top slides up, the connector, there's a button that's, that's attached to the external of the, t- the chassis, and there's an uh, electrical connection on the internal part of the, connection, uh, internal part of the chassis. So those were both 3D printed. Over the first few months, we realized that, that these are very consistent. They're not going to change. It's part of our design. So we had them mass produced with injection molding, which has nice benefits. 3D printing can, can have different variations in the end result. It's just slight variations. With plastic mold injection, it's going to be the same part every single time. So that's a good candidate. And it's something that the a precision alignment in the... Uh, for the power systems is uh, that type of process. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. So is there anything else you think that I didn't think of or missed in terms of how you're automating in your factory? Well, there's a couple of things that we're moving towards now. So now that we have this laser system in place, you know, the next part is to automate the, the software process through the production process. So if you're taking a flat piece of metal and you're going to cut it on the laser, the next part, the next thing you need to do is bend that, that part. What we're doing today is we take the part, we move it over to a brake. Uh, there are cuts in the in the material that tell the operator where to bend that material, but it's not automated in any way. So uh, the next thing that we're doing is is marking all of those parts with a QR code. And what you do is you then take that QR code, move over to the brake, scan the QR code, which will automatically position the machine and the the backstops to where that brake line now needs to occur. You slide the part in, it bends it for you, and then you flip it around. You, you just run a program. And on the screen, right. it tells you which way to hold the material as you're moving it around to run this program that's just been inserted by scanning the QR code. So that's, a, that's our next step in automation. 
Well, that sounds amazing. Uh, that would be a, that'll be an exciting advancement for us. It'll save a lot of time and increase accuracy as well. I think the next part that we'll automate is um, probably powder coating. So these powder coatings are technique for finishing the metal. Today, what we're doing is we're taking a rack of metal parts. We're dipping it in an acid uh, bath that removes oxidization and etches it, prepares it for paint. We're rinsing it, and then we're rolling it into an oven, which interestingly, the oven started out with a conveyor belt in it. So we would take a pallet of parts, right. put it on the conveyor belt, and move it through. It turned out that that attempt at automation that was actually from the previous occupant is much, much slower than just having a big door and rolling a rack in. So, <laughs> so we retrofitted the oven and removed all of that stuff, put in a big door, and now after you paint the parts, you just open the door, roll it in, close it, and let the parts secure in there. That reduced the number of people that was necessary to paint the, for the paint process from two to one. So that, that made a big difference. But that can go even further. We can do an incompletely automated line where the parts just hang from racks, roll through an oven, um, roll through etching, roll through an oven, uh, roll through paint, and then roll through another oven, and then come out finished on the other side. So I think that would, uh, that's likely to be the next... Uh, Oh, that sounds very cool. Now, I, I think I'd be remiss, and I know I want to be respectful of your time, so just, just a few more questions. But if I didn't mention um, kind of the automation enabling, enablement story here, right? Uh, we're talking on a podcast about automation. I assume you're on System76 as well. This podcast is produced on Athelio. I'm on Athelio right now. My company and I write software automation using your hardware and your software, right? It seems like there's a whole circle of automation. I, I know kind of from, from events I've gone and from things I've seen that you're really pushing particularly Pop! OS to be for makers, right? Absolutely. So what do you see kind of your role in helping other people build you know, their products, their tooling, their automation processes? Right. Well, it, it's kind of a combination of both Pop! OS as well as the hardware that we produce. So for our philosophy for Pop! OS is that, that the computer is the most versatile and empowering tool that's ever been produced. And so we, we develop our operating system and our hardware focused on enabling people to produce things with it. So that means having um, up-to-date libraries available for, for automation tools that are out there. That means focusing on the workflow of someone that's uh, for software engineering or for advanced computer science fields, fields like AI. In some instances where we see a particular, particular need or a gap, we build tools ourselves for artificial intelligence. We built a tool called TensorMan that helps enable AI and ML researchers and and uh, professionals to automate their their TensorFlow toolchain. Because it's a considerable challenge for yeah. for them, and so we try to remove all of that complexity and make just getting down to doing the work that they're doing as easy as possible. Yeah, that's that's our work. Do, have you used TensorMan? Yeah, it's actually, as soon as I updated to 1910, um, I updated on the Thaleo first and then on my Darter, and I immediately blew away my config and just set it up with TensorMan because it was less finicky, oh, less... Fantastic. Yeah, it would, I think it was like two commands, and I was up and running in a much more, I won't say stable, but much more almost standardized, right? Now both my machines are, in this, at least for that project, are in exactly the same state, which saves right. me headaches. Yeah, containerized workflows, yeah, save a lot of time and make the process of developing far, far easier. Any Anything that you'd like to see from TensorMan that, that you haven't seen yet? Oh, I don't know if you have that kind of time. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I, I would almost say, since you asked, I think we need more stuff like TensorMan, where it's simple, containerized, common development environments just up and running. Um, I'm doing a lot with automating 3D printing, so I have a few Lulzbot 3D printers. I'm actually using an old Raytel, which, for those listening, is a machine that Carl used to sell years ago no longer sells. Um, and that is actually just sitting there as a server with Ubuntu server, running the Lulzbot, taking orders from the entire remote team. This is way off topic, but we have a little um, homemade Arduino, basically spatula, <laughs> that flips up the cases and throws them in a bin. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's a very, very yeah. DIY way to do things, but it works. Uh, that's how you, that's a great way uh, to start. And then, and then you get into bigger machinery as, uh, you know, as you scale. We have one machine that we've been working on that um, we want to increase the accuracy of the external shroud on Thalia. So oh, yeah. it's put together by hand, right? And so our, you know, the people that are putting it together, they're quite skilled and they're, they're good at it, but it takes time to get skilled at it. We would like it to be much easier. And so we're building a, we've been building a machine where you can slide the components in and then an Arduino runs these pressure things that, that push out and push along the side and put the right amount of pressure on to activate the adhesives that are in there. So, um, yeah, that's our, that's our side project to, uh, to kind of nice. work on automating another component of the process. Nice. So you have the honor of being our first guest. So you didn't see this coming. But end of every uh, interview show, I'm asking two questions. The first is, what are you most excited about? Uh, or optimistic about for automation going forward? And the second is, what are you most concerned about? What I'm really excited about is the integration of what's happening in business operations with what's happening in the factory. So inventory was a big step in that direction where orders that are placed on substate6.com are automatically generated as builds and then a person can you know, very easily go and, and pick all the right parts. But that's not applying to production yet, right? So I want to extend that capability to now the production team. So now we know how many, um, you know, how many Thaleo chassis we need. We know how many AMD Ryzen CPUs we need and so forth. Based on all the orders that are coming in, we were automatically told what to order and how much to order and how to keep a, the right level in. Those, those things all are happening in the background and much easier to manage. But how much metal do we order to produce the Thaleo that the inventory system is, is questing? And we don't have that answer today. Okay. So uh, I'm very excited about moving the, the software to you know, achieve that goal as well as inventory to you know, understand when do we order more cables, when do we order more of those uh, you know, sheets of metal or any of the other components, the buttons, everything that goes into Thaleo, managing that. Um, my, let's see, my biggest concern is uh, actually being careful not to make the same mistake we made when purchasing the laser system. We're trying to be thrifty and that ended up costing a lot. And so doing really deep diligence into where we're purchasing machinery, how that machinery integrates in our current processes, ensuring that we can have a software-driven process with whatever machinery we're purchasing. So I think being diligent about those acquisitions and being careful not to make the you know, mistakes that we've already made Probably, probably the place that I'm uh, most concerned with. That that all makes a ton of sense. Uh, thank you for coming on, Carl. And uh, listeners, go to system76.com. Trust me, you will love uh, you will love a Thaleo. Pop OS is beautiful. If you tried Linux, particularly in the 90s, I can tell you it is much stabler and much easier to use. Uh, I could say it gives Mac OS a run for its money for sure. Hey, uh, can I ask you one more question? Go ahead. Uh, how was your upgrade from 1904 to 1910? Uh, it was clean. I had a few custom app repos that it asked me to get rid of or 
you know, if I wanted to keep them. Yep. But it was um, pretty straightforward. Yeah, I was surprised, actually. I expected the AMD, because uh, I have... I don't know which model right now, but I have one of the AMD cards, the graphics cards, in this machine. I thought for sure that the uh, Mesa drivers would be an issue, but they were not. Well, we, we invested a lot over the last six months to make sure that that process of going from one operating system release to the next is, um, is as clean and reliable as possible. So glad to hear it went well. Yeah, no, you guys did a great job. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. Okay. That's Carl Rochelle, CEO of System76.